Hi, and welcome to the Working Differently in Extension podcast. I'm Bob Birch. Today, we're concluding our series focusing on the new book, We've Tried That Before, 500 Years of Extension Wisdom. Brad Anderson wrote five sections of the book, Valuing Others' Opinions, Be Loyal and Always Speak Well of Others, Be Virtually Professional, Present Simply and Establish Context, and don't send that emotional message. Brad's a state 4-H leadership and communication specialist with the 4-H Center for Youth Development at Missouri University Extension. And we started our conversation with the question about how he got involved in writing the book. I kind of fell in with the wrong crowd. Uh, a while <laughs> back, I had got invited to this group of people called an innovation task force for extension. And it's kind of the people who maybe done things differently or uh, had not necessarily uh, waited for the rules to be written before they did things. So uh, somehow I got the notoriety to be invited to the select group. <laughs> I appreciated that. And it was kind of like, you know, the bad people of extension, but in, in a very positive way, people who are innovators doing fun things. And uh, just like anything else, one lot opportunity led to the other. And next thing you know, we're contributing to a book. It's pretty exciting. When you got the invite and, um, you know, this was inspired by TJ Talbert's work. So maybe we'll start there. Had you read the Talbert Extension Workers Code before the project sort of came up? I think early in my career, I read it, and I certainly had a lot of respect for it. Um, that's one thing that everybody knows of, and it's really kind of timeless. A lot of the things that are in there still hold true today. So did you, when this project came up, did you know immediately kind of what you wanted, the kinds of things you wanted to write about? I did. There's some, you know, there's several options, um, but as you go through uh, extension and I'm surprised I've been here almost 20 years now. I, you kind of learn a few things that, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or gets you fired. And fortunately, I made the kind of mistakes I could learn from. So um, I just, you know, had some things I thought were important to share. So let's talk about some of the sections, if you don't mind. Um, one of the sections you read about is called valuing the value others' opinions. Um, and one of the things that you say in there is, is to really seek out differing opinions. Why do you think that's important in extension work? Well, we just don't know everything. And so often we're so filled with our own ideas. Uh, this is a great example of mistakes I've made. Uh, you get so excited about your own ideas, you're not really listening to others. And others have a perspective that you may not have considered. Uh, Part of my role in my state specialist job in Missouri is to work with the State 4-H Council. I coordinate that group. And we've had several times where uh, youth have brought a real fresh perspective to something. And I've learned to really trust the wisdom of the group. We have almost 40 uh, teens working together on various issues. And together as a group, they have some really wise decisions. If I just left it to my own judgment, um, often I would miss something critical. In Missouri, we looked at risk management. We thought, well, you know, at state events, let's um, just make sure everyone has their own bed. That takes care of a risk management issue. It's, we're going to suck up the costs. Uh, and I thought, well, that sounds like a slam dunk. And I said, well, before we finalize this, I have a state council meeting this weekend. Let me run it by the youth and just see what they're expecting or what they have to offer. Um, they, I was expecting a slam dunk rubber stamp high five. And what they told me was that sounds horrible. 
I thought, what are you kidding me? <laughs> you have your own bed. What's wrong with that? And they said, look, if something does go wrong, uh, it's uh, one person, you know, he said, he said, she said, she said, versus more people being able to give, you know, witness to the story. Uh, but more importantly than that, it's also just so much more fun to have four people in a room instead of two people in a room. It's less awkward. It's more easy to get, easier to get a culture established and to kind of bring people along if they're new to the scene. So they had a lot of insights that I was able to bring back. It did affect our state policy. It, it became an option, not a requirement. But it all happened because I you know, decided I really wanted to value the opinions of others. That's awesome. There's a similar quote from another of your sections on presenting simply and establishing context. You say, respect the wisdom of your audience and be humble in sharing your expertise. I think that kind of seems like it kind of goes along with, with seeking differing opinions. When I was a brand new extension specialist in a rural area, uh, I was helping train on the internet. This is how long ago this was, but you know, teaching and doing a workshop on the internet and my coworker uh, who's maybe had six or eight months more seasoning than I did was giving a presentation. And one of the old farmers sitting in the audience looked over at me and said, this person's very knowledgeable. If you don't believe it, just ask him. <laughs> that made me think, Oh, I need to take a note of that. Uh, Cause you know, when you're full of yourself, people realize it and they kind of tune out. And if you're not there uh, to really send them away with something important that they're going to remember and receive well, then why, why are you even there? It's a little bit difficult, I think, because of our sort of calling card for extension has been this idea of research-based objective information. It, it seems like maybe some people really want to show that research base and show how much expertise there is. But as you point out, it can be, that can kind of work against us potentially a little bit. Sure. I mean, we have to know the research behind what we do, um, but we also maybe need to get past the idea that we are expected to be the experts in all things because we are, no one person can be the expert in all things. And oftentimes people in your audience are there because they have some expertise of their own. And sometimes rather than being the expert, we can be the partner that uh, shares information they might not have, gives them a context they might not have considered, but also links them with other people who are also knowledgeable just like they are uh, for the greater good. So oftentimes we're building partnerships more than uh, doing a top-down knowledge dump. The other sections that you write about are, are a little bit more internally uh, focused and sort of how we deal with our colleagues. And um, one of the ones that I enjoyed a lot was be loyal and always speak well of others, especially uh, the line that you have about when you're working in a team, you hog the blame and share the glory. Um, is that something that you intended as a leader of a team or just everybody on a team? Can you tell us a little bit more about your thought process there? I see that as a, as a component of a good leader. Um, and to borrow from a previous basketball coach, he said, you know, I may not know everything, but I can steal from the best of them. Uh, this is an example where I was working at the Army Project a few years ago, and a person close to retirement brought our Army team panel in together, this group of youth, kind of like a state for each council, and they shared the knowledge that they'd collected over their life and 20 bullets. And so I made sure I wrote them all down, and I you know, either adapted or extrapolated the ones I thought really applied to my understandings. And that was one thing that he shared. And I've seen that over and over. Um, so often you see people who 
throw their uh, subordinates under the bus when something goes wrong. They're quick to point the finger and they're so focused on blame and avoiding blame uh, that that becomes the story rather than the overall reason you're there. Um, I think a good leader has the confidence and the ability to absorb the blame, whether it's actually their fault or not, and just absorb that so that everybody else can work, move forward, and uh, you know, focus on the objectives that brought you there in the first place. Another one of the sections, be virtually professional, um, is maybe a, you know, I don't know if Talbert could have ever imagined uh, this world where <laughs> we had to not only kind of monitor our uh, behavior in the community and our face-to-face behavior, but also uh, on social media and Facebook and Twitter and uh, other places as well. Were there particular examples you had in mind of, of posts maybe that reflected poorly on extension when you're when you're writing that section why did you feel like uh, this was an important message for extension professionals well one of my tasks a few years ago when social media was new was to come up with a social media policy for Missouri 4-H professionals and I, as I looked into it I started realizing there was a predominant approach which was to uh, list a series of thou shalt nots it's kind of like missile technology. It's so much easier and less expensive to get around something than it is to actually, uh, you know, create, create an all, uh, all-purposeful uh, document in the first place. So in the end, I went with a different approach. And I said, you know what? We are professionals. Before you even come into this role, you're screened. You are uh, judged to be someone with good judgment. And it's just more important to realize that the internet does not sleep. There's no business hours. Uh, your expectations on the job are the same as your expectations off the job on social media and in the digital world. Um, so if you are you know, going home from your job and then posting something negative about a coworker or your organization, the people that you connect with, if they connect with you in your course of your daily uh, work life, they are going to see that and they're going to uh, reflect on the organization and on you as a professional as a result. So that was kind of my thought behind this. You can't really nail down every single thing a person shouldn't do, but you can say, hey, use your judgment, be a professional. And if you want to go, you know, do crazy things and don't connect with any of your <laughs> extension audience, which is difficult if you serve the entire state. Uh, so really just, you know, it's part of being a professional, I think. It related to that, the the last section uh, that I want to talk about is don't send that emotional message. And I, I am I, I have been guilty of this in the past. Um, maybe it's the Im, you know the impersonal nature of email that you feel like you can fire something off and uh, you know with in a state where you're angry or, or sarcastic or upset in some kind of way. Um, but I guess you know your message is really don't don't press send. Absolutely. And I'm afraid I've been guilty of that as well. Um, that's, you know, sometimes we learn through mistakes. Um, so often, the what sounds a certain way in your head does not sound that way to the person reading it without the same context. And, you know, you often need a cooling off period. If you can go back in another, you know, few hours and reread that email you sometimes have a different perspective because your, your headspace is different. You're not so wrapped up in the situation at the moment from your lens. Um, you can really keep relationships going the right direction and solve problems together collaboratively if you aren't alienating 
you're really turning off your potential partners. And that's important. So I think we've all gotten to that point where we've written this email and maybe you go back and look at it later and you think, oh my goodness, I'm glad I didn't send that because I can say this much more effectively and we can actually get something done instead of me just blowing off steam and you know making everybody mad. I love your, I love the line uh, from that section. Remember that your role is to create connection, not division. I think that's an awesome message for extension professionals. Well, thank you. I think if we can do that, we can, the sky's the limit. It's what cooperative extension can do. That was Brad Anderson, one of the co-authors of the book. We've tried that before, 500 Years of Extension Wisdom. Next, we'll jump back to the interview that started this series. Paul Hill and Jamie Sager are the lead authors of the book. When I spoke with them back in March, I asked Paul and Jamie if they were surprised at the quality of contributions they received from their co-authors. I know that in just in shooting the bull with extension professionals, they always just have good advice and stories because I think the more you interact with people, just the smarter and and you just develop a, like an awesome character. And so we're all people who deal with a lot of people uh, all the time. And so the stories I got back were, were, were great. And then we even had a professional editor go through and read it all and, and like to encourage us to take some stuff out. And that was like, that might be offensive. And I was like, mm, we're going to keep it in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, there's, there's some things in here. Like if someone's kind of like offended, maybe a little bit, just, just chill and, and enjoy the rest of the book. Like don't close it. But, but uh, you know, I, I hope people will, will uh, have a good time with it. You know, I, I was worried about, you know, talking about shooting on people and, and, uh, and then there's one where I tell people, uh, this was really like written, written to, you know, for myself. So it was, it was titled pick one, then do the next. And I won't give it away. But in that, in that section, it's all about, um, it, it uses the fable of Burden's ass. And so, but I, in there, I say, don't be an ass. And, and, and you'll have to read the rest of that uh, fable to, to learn what, what that means. And so, but yeah, I mean, we should have, we should have cut, a lot more out, but we were like, no, this is going to be awesome. So we we kept it in there. Yeah. I was so impressed by the contributions um, that we received. And honestly, it was one reason why um, it's taken so long to, to write and rewrite and rewrite again and edit the book um, is because the content that we got was so good. Uh, we didn't want to edit anything out. We just wanted to um, you know, spruce it up, polish it up a little bit so that everything flowed well and it read like a book, even though we had so many co-authors um, because it was all great stuff. And I think the only thing that surprised me, and you might laugh about this, but the only thing that surprised me is that we have someone in extension who has been here far <laughs> less of an amount of time than I have. I shouldn't say that. Not, not that much. But the amount of contributions that Paul had to this book and I did not want to cut any of, of it out. Like we, we had this conundrum and I was like, this is, this is gold. Like everything in there that Paul had was gold. And at the same time, we had 30 co-authors and we wanted their voices to rise to the top. So um, I loved everything that, that Paul had submitted. And we sat and we thought about it and we're like, okay, what do we do here? And actually much of Paul's contributions um, are now the introductions to to each chapter. And we went through and we rewrote a little bit, but the great thing about it was that he was 
the cohesive voice that pulled everyone else's contributions together. Um, it, it was almost as though he knew what a lot of the other folks were going to write. He had already lived it. He had already experienced it. I don't know how you fit a 30-year extension career into five or six, but Paul has done it. <laughs> so um, I think that was the only thing um, out of this project that really surprised me is that, you know, Paul, I think you've, you've lived almost two extension careers already. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the stories to prove it. <laughs> Thanks. Paul, <laughs> Paul, what place do you think this book has in extension now? Um, well, I'll be the first one to say it's not for everyone uh, because there's going to be a lot of people that think, who, who are these two? And, and then they'll look at the back of the 30, and I don't know any of these people. Who, what gave, who gave them permission to write a book? And, uh, and so, yeah, I think there's going to be a bunch of curmudgeons that, you know, scoff at it, you know, who, writing a book, you know, but uh, here's the catch. Like no one gave us permission. We saw an opportunity. We validated it with our peers. We took uh, the lead and got 28 other peers to join in on the project. And we even sold uh, the idea, the concept to uh, then our, our innovation lab director, Jerry Thomas in the e extension foundation. He really fought for it, got it into the budget and they actually funded the first run of books and our time to create it. And so we're grateful for their foresight and their patience on this project because it was supposed to be, be done back in December. And, uh, and then, but we had to, we had to work with a, an illustrator and uh, formatting and things. And so the book, the content of the book was done right on time. But it wasn't until the design, the formatting, the editing, that's what took a long time. And that, that's kind of like what the burnout, you know, when you're kind of like tired, it's done. But I think we're, I'm just getting rejuvenated talking about it again because I've just been so deep into the editing and the review and the designs for so many months that um, it's just kind of, you know, and then you also have your full-time job and your full-time family and, and all your, all these things that are kind of come crashing down when you're focused on, on some, the deep work of putting some, a publication like this together. And so if anyone finds a mistake in the book, like, just don't even tell me, just <laughs> don't, don't tweet me. Don't take a picture and tweet me because uh, that's just messed up. But, but I think right now in the place that extension has, like we see this book as an onboarding tool we'd love to see directors. So we're sending a copy out to every director and inviting them to, you know, read it. If they find value in it and they feel like that these 500 years of collective wisdom from these 30 extension professionals is valuable to their, you know, new and, 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 and future employees, like buy a, you know, buy a stack at, at cost and, and we'll, and uh, we'll get them out to their, to their States and, and would love to, you know, even orient them on, on uh, the book and, and how it can best be utilized. But we really think this is for these new extension professionals because really like I never put my effort in like, say for instance, writing something unless like, I'm never going to write something unless that, that I need. I'm trying to say this right. So I'm not going to write something that's already been written. So I needed something like this. And so it was easier for me to write it than to not write it. And so that's, that's why it exists. And I feel like Jamie, same, same way. And it's like, yeah. we need to get these ideas and these thoughts out there. And it was just, 
it just had to be done. And so we did it. We didn't ask for permission, but we got a great deal of support. And, and that's really what kept, kept us going. And we really like to see, you know, on day one, if, if I had this book, I would, I would, I'd be a lot farther along than I am now. So. Yeah. One of the first steps in innovation is always considering your, your motivation, your, your why. Um, I think, Paul and I both have a similar why in that if we really want something and we've identified a need for it and it doesn't exist, you know, we're going to go do it. We're going to go create it. Why not? Um, we want it. It's not out there. Let's go do it. Um, and so that was, that was a big motivation for this. We saw the need and um, we wanted to give that to, to our colleagues, especially our new colleagues coming into the system who may feel a little lost and are lacking some, some mentors. Um, in the future, though, and I think Paul alluded to this um, earlier on in the podcast, in the future, I would love to see, you know, like the next generation pick this up, like um, like Paul and I did with the extension workers code. Uh, you know, I would love to see some, you know, by that point, we're going to be seeing some young whippersnappers picking up this book and uh, and completely, you know, cutting it up, redoing it, saying this stuff's out of date, let's, let's update this, um, and, and having a new guidebook for, for every new generation of professional. Or maybe it's not even going to be that long. Maybe we're going to have some, um, some folks saying, you know, I've been using this book. I've been writing down my stories and experiences and lessons learned, and I think it's time for, for a new edition. And then um, we come back around and take everything people have been writing in their books and and have a new edition. So that's something that could be exciting to look forward to, too. That was Jamie Sager and Paul Hill, the lead authors of the book, We've Tried That Before, 500 Years of Extension Wisdom. About a year ago, I wrote a blog post about bumping the lamp. The phrase comes from a scene in the film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? In the scene, Eddie who's a real-life character played by Bob Hoskins, is trying to remove the handcuffs that are binding him to the animated rabbit, Roger. The scene would have been fine without any lighting changes at all. In 1988, having a real character interact with an animated character as seamlessly as they do in the film was a pretty brilliant achievement on its own. But the filmmakers didn't stop there. For no particular reason during the scene, Eddie bumps a hanging lamp that is situated above him and Roger. For the rest of the scene, light and shadow are thrown everywhere. It doesn't serve the plot. It's not really even good for a laugh. All it does is make the filmmaker's jobs harder. And try to imagine how hard it was to put a real character and an animated character in the same scene to light them evenly, to make them look like they're in the same room, and to make them interact in a believable way. Bumping the lamp made all those things much harder than they already were and created a lot of extra work for the animators, but it also made the scene iconic. Bumping the lamp is going that extra mile. It's challenging yourself, pushing your limits, and showing your passion for and dedication to your work. So as we wrap up this series, I want to thank Jamie and Paul for bumping the lamp with the publication of We've Tried That Before, 500 Years of Extension Wisdom. And I want to thank all of the co-authors, particularly those that shared their thoughts with us in this series. You can order a limited edition of the book 
in a gift box set right now at wttbgiftbox.eventbrite.com. As of this recording, there are less than 50 of those special editions left, so make sure you place your order now. You can find the link to order and more in the show notes for today's podcast at bobbirch.com. Remember, you can listen to all the episodes of the podcast at soundcloud.com slash working differently. And you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is at WDNEXT. Thanks so much for listening and have an awesome day.